Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And this is Stuff You Should Know, the podcast edition of the podcast. Maybe we should change the name of the show to, like, stuff you might want to know. If you're, you know, if you care about being an enlightened individual. We need a colon in there. We've been using colons a lot lately. Yeah. Let's not change the name. We should change the name to Just Try and Find a Pulse. (laughs) That's good. Thank you. Chuck. Yes. Have you ever seen an animal migrate? (laughs) I see my dogs migrating to the food bowl at 5 o'clock every day. Yeah? Yeah. I guess that is kind of migration- yeah. yeah. Actually, I see them migrate to me at like 4.30 and, and start say, hey. staring at me like, you know you got to feed us, right? Yeah, we talked about that and uh, can dogs perceive time. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I have seen animals migrate on the YouTubes. Oh, it's gorgeous. It is. It is. I mean, it's unbelievable. It is, especially depending, like the monarch butterflies, everyone's like, that's the money migration. Nah, not to me. Have you seen the bats, the fruit bats in Zambia? That's pretty amazing. It is amazing and like horrific if you don't like bats. I like the the mammalian ones, like the elk. Mm-hmm. Thousands and thousands of them steaming across the tundra. Uh, and uh, the car- the yeah caribou yeah. is another one. Um, wildebeests also called gnus. The gnu? No gnus is good gnus with Gary <laughs> Gnu. Did you know that? I did know that. Uh, the wildebeest, a.k.a. the gnu, uh, is also known for its huge migration. Uh, and that doesn't always go very well. Did you know that? What, with the gnu? Uh-huh. Uh, why 2007? That? No, what happened? In uh, a river in Kenya in 2007, 10,000 oh, no. wildebeests drowned Ugh. at this one spot in this river. It's awful. Because one of them went in. And got swept away, and the rest of them were like, oh, we went in. Well, I guess that we'll all fun. just cross. And, Boy, that's really sad. Yeah. Um, 1% of the population of uh, the African wildebeest population wow. died in that river that day. Quite a mess, too. <laughs> I imagine you know? so, yeah. Ten, I mean, that would probably dam up the river, I would think. I would think so. 10,000 GNU yeah. wildebeests. I mean, they're about four and a half feet tall at the shoulder, I yeah, believe. Yeah. They're big. Um, and yeah, 10,000 of them, that's a lot of biomass. It's like when a whale gets beached. You remember the one in, uh, Oregon in the 70s? Yeah. That they blew up with dynamite? Yeah. Yeah. There's you footage of that, that on today. the YouTubes as well. Is there really? Yeah. Wow. So, that's migration, Chuck. You got anything else? <laughs> Listener mail. I just blacked out. Uh, Josh, migration, uh, if, we should define it for our foreign friends. Exactly. It is a large-scale movement of an animal species. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. typically it's because of uh, a few things like uh, weather mm-hmm. or mating or food, trying to find resources. Yeah. So when you said that you see your dogs migrate to their food bowl every day, mm-hmm. that does technically count yeah, as sure. migration because most of the reason things migrate is food and then the other ones are generally secondary. Josh, right. what, what are the three types of migration? There is irreversive migration. No. <clears throat> eruptive migration. Yes. I just made up a word. Irreversive. Yeah. And not eruptive as in a volcano, but I-R-R. Repetive. Yeah. That's right. Um, and that doesn't follow a pattern. Uh, usually 
it kind of the basically the species is making it up as it goes along. Right. Um, the wildebeests are known for eruptive uh, migration because they follow water, and wherever the water is, yeah. they're going to it, and uh, yeah. apparently drowning in it. And they they said too in this article, which is crazy, that they will their migration patterns can be based on like thunder clouds. Well, yeah, if they hear thunder, that's so awesome. They're going to go to the thunder because that's where the rain is, meaning yeah. that's where the water is. That's just so cool. How smart the the stupid-looking Ganu is. <laughs> Big dummies. Didn't Gary Ganu wear a turtleneck and a jacket? I think it was a dicky. Okay. Uh, Josh, another one is complete and partial migration. Um, obviously, complete is when the entire species migrates. Um, partial usually happens when you have such a range in your species that some of you live where it's nice and warm, you don't have to go anywhere, and some of you live where it's cold. And uh, the barn owl is a good example of that one. Partial migration is basically just a species showing off how much range it has. Right, right. Like, some of us don't even need to migrate. <laughs> exactly. There's also um, altitude, altitudinal migration, uh-huh. where you're a billy goat up in the Alps, yeah. and it starts to snow and get a little cold for you, so you move a little further down the mountain. Yeah. Bing, bang, boom, migration done. And the final one, actually, I think I said three, this is more like five, uh, is the saddest one of all, and that's removal migration. And that is when wherever you're living, for one reason or another, whether it's deforestation or... Uh, Drain swampland. Swampland or climate is just not the place to live anymore. And you just pack your bags as a species and leave, never to come back. It is the saddest migration. I think so. Um, so, Chuck, that's the types of migration, the three slash five types. Three to five. Yeah. Um, and what we're finding is, uh, it, from the outside, it looks like people who study migration, or before we studied migration, it was just like, oh, look, the animals are moving again. Right. Um, but people have given it a lot more um, evaluation over the last decade, century, year or two, right? Uh-huh. Um, and they're finding that there's pretty much, well, like we said, food, breeding, yeah. and mating and um climate climate those are the reasons yes and they all equal survival yes that's the whole point yes right you said that um partial migration is based on range yeah what animals need is food mm-hmm. you got to have food to yeah. survive yeah. and for the most part that's why animals migrate is for food yeah, right. and what's interesting, too, is it's not always a migration to like, oh, let's go find, because there's tons of food over here. Sometimes they're smart enough to know we'll deplete all the food here mm-hmm. if we don't move around some. And we want to survive as a species, so we're not going to take all the food here. We're going to migrate over and kind of spread it around so we can all live. Right. That's pretty cool. Water also falls into that category of survival as well, like the wildebeest, which we were talking about, right? Yes. Um and then there's breeding and mating as reasons for migration. Uh, whales yeah. are very, very famous for um, migration for both, actually, for feeding and for breeding, right? Right. So they migrate to the poles in the summertime. Thousands of miles. Yeah. Um, they migrate to the poles in the summertime to go feast on krill, but their calves, when they're born, don't have enough blubber to survive in the polar climate. That's adorable. So they go toward the equator, yeah. the tropical climates, to um, mate and, and reproduce. Do you ever look at animals and think, they figured it all out and humans are just messing it all up? 
Yes, frequently. I say that all the time to myself. Uh, the Chinook salmon, Josh, is one uh, in relation to mating and breeding. And they are famous for uh, heading out to sea as adults after they're born in the river. And then later in life, they swim back upriver and they lay their eggs at the same hospital where they were born. The same little river spot. Right. They're because they're going to be eaten in the open sea. Well, right? yeah. So they go back to where they were born because it worked for them. Well, that's exactly why they do it. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. Because they know that this spot is, because I'm alive. It's that, safe. I know this is a safe spot for me. Plus, I haven't been by there for a while. And I need to say hey to the to the old neighborhood. <laughs> exactly. See what's going on. Chuck, you're talking about removal migration. Um, there's a pretty faint, there's a good example of um, what happens as a result of removal migration um, in the whooping crane, right? This is the best story. Do you like this one? It's really awesome. So the whooping crane uh, in the United States went down to 20 birds in the wild for a little while. That's not the good part, by the way. Right. That's the sad part. That's the funny part. Here's the good part. <laughs> Uh, the, the eastern population of the species was completely wiped out. And the western population was pretty much keeping the species alive. So, it, it, I guess to oppose removal migration, Ru- uh, is it Rutgers? I believe it was. Rutgers. Uh, Rutgers ornithologists, um, really started to take a, a, a real shine to the whooping crane and, and wanted to get the population back up. And so they started breeding them in captivity. Yeah. The problem is the annual migration of the whooping crane uh, is about 1,200 miles. They go from the north down to Florida. Sure. Um, they learn that. That's intergenerational knowledge, right? Yeah. So the ones in the east, they have no idea how to get from their their where they live during the summertime down south in the winter. Yeah, they don't know the route. Because those people who used to, ha- or those cranes that used to have that knowledge <laughs> right. died out, right? I know, it's so sad. So tell them what they're doing, Chuck. Well, this is the cool thing. As sad as that is, and as down on humans as I am, there are humans that do amazing things like this. They uh, basically dressed up in whooping crane costumes <laughs> from the time these little chickies were born yeah. to acclimate them to to you know the adults and uh, the sound of an ultralight aircraft from the time they were little ones. They got them used right. to that sound. Right. Then when the time came to migrate, Josh, the birds, a guy got into an ultralight aircraft. Dressed as a whooping crane. Dressed as a whooping crane and flew from Wisconsin to Florida and led these birds and basically said, this is the way to go. Mm-hmm. This is how you're going to survive. Mm-hmm. How awesome is that? It's pretty awesome. And it worked. So far. So far. They're, what they're hoping is, obviously, in generations to come, that they have learned this. So and they they'll can't... be able to pass it down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's so awesome. Um, that's pretty rare, actually, that we understand why or how a species um, migrates. For the most part, how and when or how they how they know to migrate right. is, is still relatively a mystery. Um, there's different ways... That, that we think a, an animal species can say, oh, okay, it's time to go to Florida. Yeah. Um, and one of the, one of the big ones is called the, the photo period. Right. Based on the circadian rhythm or the circulian rhythm. Sunlight. 